If you would turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, looking at verses 11 through 19 uh, this morning. Uh, and as the kids are, uh, as you guys are turning there, I do want to just uh, welcome uh, Joel McMahon's family here. We're so blessed to have you here today. At the end of our service, we're going to have an uh, ordination for Joel uh, being set apart as a deacon. Uh, just excited and blessed what God is doing in your life and the life of this uh, congregation. Uh, well, I'm going to read uh, God's holy word, uh, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 uh, through 19. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll dive into the word together. Hear God's word, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at his feet, on his face, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Great God, we bow before you now. Um, you are holy and majestic, God. You are supremely worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. So God, we pray that right now that we would uh, fix our gaze upon your glory. God, we want to see your glory. And God, when we enter into your presence, we are reminded of our sinfulness. God, God, we thank you for your precious word that says when we confess our sins, you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, we confess our sin to you now. God, we confess our ungratefulness. God, we, we, we confess our inability to see those suffering around us. God, we confess our sins of commission and our sins of omission. God, we confess our sins to you knowing that you delight to hear the confession of sins of your people. So God, we place all our righteousness on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he purchased for us on Calvary, God, through his death and resurrection. God, we ask you to cleanse us and to forgive us by your holy word. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the privilege of coming to you in our time of need. God, we pray and we lift up those in our congregation who are hurting. Uh, God, so many who are hurting, uh, God, and facing cancer, God, and facing a sickness. We lift them all up to you, God. We lift up Jean and, and Ted and, and Judy and Betty. God, we pray for our, our shut-ins. God, we pray. We lift up uh, Carrie Luke and, and Mary Boyd this morning. God, we pray that you would just minister to their hearts um, there at Chandler Place. Uh, Father, we, we thank you so much for the privilege of, of uh, being part of a group of churches, other places who preach your holy word. God, we pray this morning for Jay Wright at the Village Church. God, as he gets that church plan off the ground, God, we pray that you would just bless him with your presence. God, we pray that you would anoint his preaching, Father, that that congregation would be built up in Christ. God, we pray that the lost, those who are far from you, would be draw, brought to you through the work uh, of that church body. And God, we, we ask now as we enter into this time of 
um, worship through your word. We pray that you would just bless our efforts. Father, uh, we pray that all that is said and done right now at this hour, God, is done to your, your glory, Father. God, so I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase. God, I pray that you would show us your glory, God. Not show us opinions of a man, but God, we want to see your glory, God. God, we want to be like Moses, that we don't want to go anywhere outside of your presence, God. We want to feel your presence. We want to know your presence. So God, I pray through the preaching of your word that you would be present among your people, that we would feel your presence, God, that we would be convicted of our sin and be driven to righteousness and holiness, God, that we would be changed, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus that dwells in us, God. I pray that it would give life to our mortal bodies through the preaching of your holy word. God, I thank you so much for the preciousness of your word. God, I pray that we would be those who would fall, would fall at your feet, knowing that we have been cleansed and we have been redeemed. So God, I pray against distractions now. We pray that you would allow us to fix our attention on your holy word. God, we submit our lives to you. We submit this time to you. We ask you to bless us in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, Kent Brantley uh, was trained as a medical doctor at Indiana, Indiana University School of Medicine. Uh, he has a lovely wife and beautiful children. And although Kent Brantley is deeply loved by his family, uh, until Friday he was not able to touch them. Ken Brantley contracted the Ebola virus while he was serving in West Africa, in Liberia. Uh, Ebola is a deadly disease that apparently had no cure. Uh, He went to Liberia to serve as a hospital with his wife and two children. Uh, As he went there, the Ebola virus broke out, and Dr. Brantley stayed. And yet he didn't stay alone. He stayed there with his wife and his children, uh, coming as a missionary through Samaritan's Purse. Now, this deadly virus has already claimed over 1,200 lives in West Africa this year alone. Now, while the family flew back for a wedding, Dr. Brantley started experiencing a high fever, and it was quickly confirmed that he had contracted the Ebola virus. Dr. Brantley was put in isolation there, and there was plans made to bring him to the United States for better care. Now, when the news of his return came to return to the States, became public, there was a media firestorm. TV personalities started weighing in on the audacity of the United States government to allow someone with Ebola to enter into the United States of America. Donald Trump said, Ebola patient will be brought to the U.S. in a few days. Now I know for sure that our leaders are incompetent. Keep them out of here. TV antagonist Ann Coulter questioned even the good of Dr. Brainley ever did for the disease-ridden cesspool of Africa. Now, the CDC director, Tom Frieden, told the Associated Press that he had received thousands of nasty emails and hundreds of phone calls from people saying, how dare you bring people into our country with Ebola? The emotional firestorm and the intense backlash was surprising to Brantley's family and surprising to some. Uh, but there is a group of people that it would have not been surprising to. It would have not been surprising to the first century leper. They, like Dr. Brantley, was isolated from human contact, shunned by family and friends. The isolation and the backlash facing Dr. Brantley, who's now 
has since been released is only a sliver of the isolation that a leper felt in the first century A.D. Now Jesus invites us this morning to into the mind and the heart of a leper. Now if you are unable to empathize with the emotional and um, physical pain of a leper, you will not understand the full meaning of this text. So right now I want you to place yourself in the shoes of a first century leper, isolated from your family, not able to shake the hand of a friend, to caress the cheeks of your children, to hug your spouse, unable to gather with God's people, completely isolated, a total outcast. Now, once you imagine yourself there, then you can begin to grasp the emotion behind this text. Uh, We're going to look at this text in three big headings. The first one is the plea. The plea, if you want to follow along in the outline provided for you, you can write that in, the plea. Luke opens this story with a reminder of the future destination of the Lord Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, they may seem like small additions to the story, but they should fill our minds with where Jesus is heading. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross where he would be brutally beaten and crucified. Now, although Jesus was walking towards his own suffering and towards his own pain, he has enough compassion to look at those suffering around him. All of Jesus' life was lived under in the shadow of the cross. Beloved, we too should always live in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of suffering. Now, it's important to note that Jesus was walking between Samaria and Galilee. Now, to our modern ears, that may not mean like much, but to the first century hearers, they would have heard two clanging symbols, Samaria and Galilee, two opposing people. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The Samaritans were counted as half-breeds, unfit for the kingdom of God. So the backdrop of this entire text has the cross and racial tension. So Luke begins the story we see in verse 12. It says, And Jesus entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You find it interesting that these lepers were living in community together. And now we know from the rest of the story that we can assume that it was full of Samaritans and Jews. See, leprosy had no prejudice. Leprosy caused both Jew and Samaritan to be cut off from God's people, isolated on the outskirts of town, living in community together. They were unclean and separated, separated from God's people. Jews and Samaritans lived together as outcasts. Now, they cannot get close to Jesus because of their leprosy. Now, we, we, we see other places in, in Jesus' ministry where he reached out and touched the leper's hands. But these lepers, for whatever the reason, didn't approach Jesus, but they stood at a distance. When you read this text, you see Luke doing a masterful job of using space, right? distance and nearness. Remember the emotional, emotional plea that these lepers were feeling. 
You know, they were completely isolated. Now, Dr. Brantley, you could read his testimony of when he came out of the hospital about the joy that he felt being able to, to hug and be with his children since being released from the hospital. But these lepers spent months, if not years, apart from human contact. They could do nothing but beg for mercy. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Too often we read the text of Scripture as if it was a book and there's not emotion behind it. This is real emotion. But beloved, we should also be able to empathize with that kind of emotion because we have all been there. We were once separated from God, classified as unclean, cut off from God's people without hope. Sin has no prejudice. All sin separates us from God and labels us as unclean, unfit for the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 39, 23 and 24, hear God's word. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand, the, the hand of their adversaries. And they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. God will deal with our uncleanness. The uncleanness of our sin by hiding his face from us. Beloved, this is not a safe place to be, to have the holy God of the universe hide himself from us because of our uncleanness. So when we feel that, it's only proper to say, God, have mercy on us. Do not give us what we deserve. The second heading, we want to look at the purge. So we have the plea and now we have the purge. These lepers rightly called out for mercy and the Lord answered their plea. Look with me in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now I want you to notice those first four words. When he saw them. These words have to be important to us. The world, our flesh, and the evil one does not want us to see those who are hurting around us. What the world says is focus on your own needs and live for yourself. Jesus was going for, to the cross to face suffering and death extreme pain, and yet he saw them. Jesus cannot speak to their need unless he first sees them. And likewise, we cannot speak to others' needs unless we see their needs around us. So after seeing their need, Jesus gives them instructions to go and show themselves to the priest. So the ten leopards, I want to hear this, ten leopards obeyed the words of Jesus. The scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed. They experienced God's blessing and they were purged from their uncleanness. Would it be wrong to say that all these ten leopards had faith in Jesus? They had a degree of faith in Jesus. They all lifted up their voice to Jesus, calling him master, asking him for mercy. And all ten of these Lepers turned and obeyed Jesus' voice. Hear me, they all had some faith. 
but they did not have saving faith. This is probably one of the greatest dangers in our world. People have some faith, but not saving faith. What was their motivation to come to Jesus? Did they come to receive him as Lord and Savior? Or did they come to receive his blessings? One of my greatest fears uh, for us as a church is that we will come to God more for the blessings of his hand than the blessing of his presence. The saddest place for God's people to be is to have an illusion that you are okay, that you are doing well because you are experiencing earthly prosperity. Health can be deceiving. It was for these leopards. Moses, uh, when he was dealing with God and God's people, after the burning or after the making of the golden calf, this is what Moses says in Exodus 33, 15, and 16. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? See, Moses knew that their distinctiveness of being God's people was his presence. Not in their prosperity. Moses then said, please, show me your glory. Show us your glory. Beloved, is that our prayer? Do we pray for our health only? Or do we beg God to show us his glory? Do we pray that God would help us only pay our bills? Or do we plead with him to show us his glory? Can I just ask you this? When you gather, before you gather, right before you hear the preaching of the word, when the offering plates are passed, can I ask you to, to pray, show us your glory. Show us your presence. Show us your holy glory. How do you know if you are like these leopards? who have some faith, but maybe not have saving faith. Don Whitney offers 10 questions to help us diagnose our spiritual health. I'd encourage you to ask them to yourself now. I'll read them without commentary. Question number one, do you thirst for God? Are you governed increasingly by God's word? Are you more loving? Are you more sensitive to God's presence? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Do you delight in the bride of Christ, the church? Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly more important to you? Do you still grieve over sin? Are you quicker to forgive? Do not be deceived in thinking that if God improves your earthly life, he has changed your eternal destiny. God wants you to care more about his presence than his provision. This last heading, the praise. So we have the plea, the purge, and now we have the praise. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is the proper response to God's mercy. When the leper realized he was healed, he turned back, 
praising God with a loud voice. He lifted up with a loud voice, begging for mercy, and with that same loud voice gave him thanks and praise. He turns and falls on his face, worshiping him. This is saving faith. Jesus is worthy of this kind of praise. I was speaking with a pastor this week who just returned from a trip to New York City. And while on their trip, they met an Iranian couple who came to faith in Christ who's attending this small church. They applied for U.S. citizenship, but there seems to be some problems whether or not they're going to get it. And they looked at my pastor friend and they said, you know what will happen to us if we go back to Iran? We will be killed for our faith in Jesus. Yet they did not say it with resignation. They said it with joy. Because they know that their sins have been cleansed. That they are in the presence of God by the power of His Holy Spirit. They rejoice insofar as they shared in the sufferings of Christ. Is that us? Have, do we realize that we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have that kind of joy. We'll sing here in a moment. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Beloved, we need to rejoice, for in Christ we lose all our guilty stains. We're no longer unclean, but we are pure and holy. If you come here today and you are bitter or angry, you have forgotten the gospel. You have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your former sins and have been forgiven through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget what the Lord has saved you from. Feel that emotion. So then we could say, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. You are redeemed. He has risen and he will come again. That should lift the bitter and anger out of our hearts. Look how Luke closes this story. Uh, by highlighting the, the, the breath of God's, the, 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 the breath of God's glorious salvation for those who are far off. Remember I talked about the spacing you see how the, the, one, the lepers counted off from a far distance, but the one who had saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ came and fell at his feet, far off coming near. Verse 16, he fell at his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, was not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. I don't think he's referring to his physical healing. He's referring to his spiritual healing. God looks at this foreigner and says, your faith has made you well. Now this is powerful because in the words of Jesus here, he's extending salvation to all people for whosoever puts their faith in Christ will be saved. For if anyone calls on the name of Christ will be saved. How? Through the same way, through the one mediator, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now, you see, these words are not just words that we, we, we rejoice in, but they should give us hope, even in the light of the racial tensions that we've seen in Ferguson, Missouri, this past week. You know, our country has a very unique 
history of race relations. Yet in the gospel there is no color but the crimson flow of the blood of Christ. For through the blood of Christ, he takes diverse people, people from every walks of life and every color, and makes them one in Christ. Now I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to hear of the oneness that God has called us to be as part of his body. Hear God's word, Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and following. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God has brought us all together under one household. Beloved, we're no longer two people, but we are one people. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with all the saints of God throughout the ages, through the cross of Christ. This blood-bought unity should inform our conversation of the complex issues of race in the 21st century. But they should also give us hope. Give us hope in the, the, the Christ our Christ, who conquers all of our differences through his blood. Now the world may be full of hatred and strife, but God's people are called to stand as one unified body. God has given us many things in the church to, to protect our unity. Uh, one thing he does, he gives us the table. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, this is why I tell you before we practice the Lord's Supper that if you have any bitterness or anger towards anyone in this congregation, you need to get yourself right before you come to God's table. So we commune together. Uh, But one of the other things the Lord has done, uh, he has established leaders in the church to preserve this kind of unity. In Acts chapter 6, there was an issues of disunity in the church with certain widows being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the response to disunity and strife, God established the office, office of deacon to set aside certain men to help maintain unity in the body of Christ. So today we are going to set aside Joel McMahon, formally as a deacon. We are setting him apart as one who will strive to maintain unity in this church in the spirit of Christ. So Joel, as you are being ordained as a deacon, you are committing yourself to labor for the spiritual health and unity of the people of Park Baptist Church. This church has seen your character. This church has seen your spiritual wisdom. And we as a body are confident in you that you will work for the unity of this church in the bond of peace. The best way you can bring about this spiritual unity is to protect the preaching of the word of God. Uh, You are being asked and you are being tasked alongside the other deacons to ensure that this pulpit will always preach the pure and holy word of God. 
God. That by, that by the preaching of the word of God, the people that you're sitting next to will experience the eternal rest of God in glory through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a deacon, you are called to be an example of service and faith. And I want you to remember the promise held out to young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. For those who serve well as a deacon, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, brother, I pray that through your ministry that you would gain good standing for the McMahon name, not only for you and your wife, but for your whole family, for your children. That's the promise as you serve well in Christ. But it also says this, that you gain great confidence, great confidence of the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So now, brother, I'm going to ask you to, to come down here and kneel in front. Uh, and if you are here today and you are an ordained uh, man in the Baptist church, uh, we're going to have a line coming down the side. If you guys can start gathering there now, and we're going to pray uh, over uh, Joel. Uh, as, we, as the men gather to pray, I would love for you, congregation, just to turn in your copy of your hymnal uh, to uh, 142, There is a Fountain. And while the men are praying over Joel, I'd love for you just to sing uh, this song um, to remind us of the great salvation we have in Christ.